Okay, we're going to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 15, if you'd like to open up there. And uh, this, is, this is sort of an obscure section of Scripture, uh, starting in Isaiah 13, going all the way into, I don't know, Isaiah 22, I think, um, is a proclamation or a burden of God's judgments upon a whole bunch of cities and a whole bunch of nations. Uh, we looked at the uh, judgment against Babylon and then uh, in chapter 14, also the judgment against Assyria, or the oracle, against Assyria, and then Philistia. And now here in chapter 15, we have this proclamation against Moab, or this oracle or judgment against the nation of Moab. But I want to focus on just one of these verses here in verse 5, Isaiah 15, 5. Actually, we'll read 5 and 6. It says, My heart will cry out, of Mo- out for Moab. Isaiah 15, 5, my heart will cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee to Zoar like a three-year-old heifer. For by the ascent of Luhith, they will go up with weeping. For in the way of Horonaim, they will raise up a cry of destruction. For the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass has withered away. The grass fails There is nothing green. And so I have entitled this message today, The Way of Destruction. Obviously something we want to know about and we want to know how to avoid. The Way of Destruction. And next week we'll uh, look at the uh, Way of Salvation. And we'll talk about the Way of Salvation here this morning as well. Um, And then if you come out Wednesday night, we're going verse by verse through the book of Isaiah, and we'll probably go through Isaiah 15 and 16 this Wednesday night, verse by verse. But for today's message, I just want to focus on uh, this idea of, of this way that God was talking about that will lead to destruction, as he's talking about the judgment against Moab Israel's uh, enemy here. Now Moab, the Moabites were the descendants of Lot, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. So really these are, to some degree, these are cousins of the Israelites. The Moabites would have been related through Lot, who was uh, Abraham, uh, who was the founder of the, uh, of the nation of Israel, Abraham's nephew, Lot. And then the Moabites were the descendants that came from, uh, from Lot. And so they became uh, a problem as most of the neighbors, or really all of Israel's neighbors, became a problem to them. Uh, The Moabites were one of their enemies. And and so we're going to look at that more in detail, the history of it, on on Wednesday night. But for the sake of this message, I just want to use this idea of the way of horn and name. uh, They will raise up a cry of destruction. So there is a way uh, that leads to destruction, and there is a way that leads to life. Uh, We are all really on a path. This, This life... Uh, is, is really a journey. It's not a destination. If you've lived any amount of time in this world, you know things change, things happen. Things happen that are completely out of your control. Uh, and even all of your plans that you may make uh, could all just evaporate. They could just disappear. Everything that you've done and planned could be taken from you in, in a minute, in a heartbeat, in a second. Uh, and so we realize that really this life is not a destination 
this life is a journey. We are, we are journeying through life. We are sojourners through this world. And really, we're all heading toward an eternal destination. That's really the destiny. This life is not the, the destination. It's not the end of the road. This life is the journey to get to the end of the road. And the end of the road is uh, eternal. It's where our spirit goes uh, when this physical body dies and when this life ends. So we're all heading toward an eternal destination. And really, according to the scriptures, we are all either on a path that leads to eternal life or we are on a path that will lead to destruction or to eternal death. One path leads to heaven, another path leads to hell. And it may not be a very popular message, it may not be uh, something that makes people feel good to hear that there is a place called hell, but, um, you know, I ask you, would you want to spend eternity with Hitler? If Hitler, if, if everybody got to go to heaven, would that be a good thing? Would you want all the child rapists and child murderers and serial killers and, you know, Ted Bundy and Charles Manson and Hitler? If, if God just let everybody into heaven, it wouldn't be heaven. It would be hell. It would be just like this world full of sin and full of people that are just hurting one another and selfish and taking from one another. And so uh, I think that we would all agree that heaven wouldn't be heaven if Satan was there, uh, Lucifer and all the fallen angels and the demons were there and Hitler was there and Charles Manson was there. Uh, that certainly would not be a heaven that I would want to go to. So we have to understand that there is a place called hell uh, and that people are going to have to trample over the blood of Christ to go there. It's, it's not somewhere that God wants to send anyone, but it's somewhere that a lot of people are going to end up because they don't want to surrender their life to God. They don't want to go God's way. They don't want to follow the narrow way through Jesus Christ that leads to life. They'd rather do their own thing and take their chances. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that there is a way that leads to life, eternal life, and there is a way that leads to eternal destruction. Now, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to hold your place there in Isaiah 15. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 13. Speaking about this very idea of, of going down a way or a path that's going to lead to a destination. Jesus says this in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate... And broad is the way that leads to destruction, the way to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, or the path, or the road, which leads to life. And there are only a few who find it. So Jesus is telling us that there are two roads that we are all, we're all on one of two paths or two roads in this life. We're either on the broad road, the easy road, the popular road that leads to destruction, or we're on the narrow road, the hard road, the difficult road. There are very few that are on that road, according to Jesus, that leads to heaven or leads to eternal life. It's interesting that Jesus says uh, there are few that find it, verse 14, Matthew 7, 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way or hard is the way which leads to life. And there are only a few who find it. So Jesus makes it very clear there are two roads, and we are all traveling on one uh, of these two roads into the final destination of 
eternity. The Bible tells us that the way of eternal life is exclusively through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God except through the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. It's an exclusive sort of a uh, charge that, that Jesus says. He says, I am the only way. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, Jesus was telling his disciples before he would go to the cross, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So Jesus is saying, this life is not all that there is. This world is not the end. This life, when you die, it's not the end. There is a life after this life. Actually, that's the real life, is when this life ends. Then you go into, really, eternity. And he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. This destination with him. He says, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to build a place for you. I'm going to come and take you to be where I am forever. And he says, and where I go, you know. And the way, you know. This is the way to eternal life. And his disciples were uh, blatantly honest with him. Thomas uh, said probably what the other ones wanted to say, but maybe were too nervous to say it. Thomas said to him, doubting Thomas is who we're talking about here, he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? They didn't want Jesus to die. They didn't want him to leave them. They certainly didn't want him to leave them alone and him go to heaven and leave them here on the earth. And, uh, and so Thomas says, we, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus said to him in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So you have the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Jesus throws down the gauntlet to all of the other religions of the world, to all of the other religious belief systems of the world, to all of the other gods that are out there. And Jesus says, I am the only way to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And again, this is not a popular message. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more and more unpopular to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. I mean, this Pope is something else. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and this Pope is something else. I mean, he's even uh, more, uh, I would say, more liberal than Pope John Paul II, who was the most liberal Pope uh, in a generation. And uh, this pope is basically saying that Muslims and uh, everybody uh, are going to go to heaven. He's saying that Jesus is not the only way. As long as you, even if you're an atheist, or this Pope Francis says, even if you're an atheist, as long as you're sincere in your atheism <clears throat> and you're true to yourself, then that's all that, that matters and you're going to be okay uh, in eternity. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. That contradicts what Jesus says. The Pope is not Jesus. He can't rewrite the Word of God and change what the Word of God says. The Pope has recently said that God's okay with gay marriage. Since when is God okay with gay marriage? Since when is God okay with the practice of fornication or homosexuality or adultery <clears throat> or um, bestiality or pornography? He's not okay with sexual sin, any manner of sexual sin. 
<clears throat> and yet this pope is trying to lower the bar <clears throat> and lower the bar, <clears throat> excuse me, and lower the bar to where anybody will get into heaven. And again, uh, if all of the, the uh, atheists and all of the uh, uh, terrorists, the Muslim terrorists, because they're sincerely believing in, in Allah as they strap a suicide vest on themselves and blow themselves up, does that mean that they're going to go to heaven? Because they're being good Muslims, they're following the practice of their faith, they're uh, genuinely serious about what they believe. According to this pope, uh, if he's a sincere Muslim, he's going to go uh, to, 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 to heaven. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, Jesus says, there is no other way except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. <clears throat> and again, this is, this is uh, an, an exclusive, narrow, clearly defined road that is hard, that there are only a few that are on it, according to Jesus. It's not a broad road that everybody's traveling on. You know, the interesting thing about Muhammad, if you study uh, the founder of Islam, Muhammad himself wasn't even sure that he was saved. I mean, he's the founder of the Islamic religion, the Muslim religion. And even at the end of his life, the writings of Muhammad, he was not convinced that Allah was going to let him into paradise. He just would depend on whether or not Allah was in a good mood that day. Uh, really, no Muslim has any assurance of their salvation. Uh, they are constantly trying to work to be saved, but they are terrified of Allah because Allah is the moon god, and Allah is a very angry god, and Allah is a very violent god, uh, and even the Muslims are terrified of Allah. There's no love there. That's why oftentimes when you're sharing the love of Christ with someone who's been raised in Islam, they respond to the love of Jesus Christ because there is no love from Allah toward the Muslim. They're terrified of their God. Uh, and there, there is no assurance of their salvation. As a fa matter of fact, Muhammad, he wasn't ever sure if he would even be saved. And he died and he was buried and he's still buried in his tomb. Uh, there's no eternal life there, according uh, to uh, Muhammad. Even Muhammad was not assured of eternal life. Uh, Buddha, you know, you have Buddhists and you have the New Age movement and all of this Eastern mysticism with, with yoga and Reiki healing and all of this stuff that's coming in and then uh, witchcraft and it's all kind of tied together. It's just exploding in the Western world right now. Uh, but even Buddha never attained enlightenment. If you read Buddha's writings toward the end of his life, he basically still said, I've done everything. I've denied my flesh. I've denied the material world. I've lived for, you know, uh, the aesthetics and denying the pleasures of the flesh and, you know, and, and meditation and reading and all of these things. And yet, even at the end of his life, Buddha had no assurance that he would reach the avatar state, which was the ultimate goal of Buddhism, that he would somehow become an avatar. He would become enlightened. But not even Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, says that he felt that he was enlightened, that he had arrived to salvation. And so for the Buddhist, they just get reincarnated. They get recycled back into another body, and they have to start all over again. They don't know if they're going to come back as a cricket or a cockroach or a kitty or a lamb. I mean, they don't know what they're going to come back as. You know, you come back as a recycled soul, according to the New Age movement and, uh, and, and Buddhism and Eastern mysticism. And it is a perpetual 
cycle a recycling of death. It's not a good thing. I mean, the, the, even the Buddhists, and you look at the Indians, you know, in India, uh, they're always trying to reach enlightenment because they don't want to have to be reincarnated to come back in another body and have to start all over again. Really, reincarnation is a cycle of death. It's eternal death until you somehow maybe reach uh, an avatar state of enlightenment. But not even the founder of Buddhism was convinced that he had achieved enlightenment. So if the founder didn't achieve enlightenment, then what hope do the followers of Buddha have? And of course, just like Muhammad, Buddha was a man. He died, he was buried, and he stayed dead. So there is no salvation in Buddha or in Buddhism. And reincarnation is an eternal curse. They're cursed to die and die and die and die and die forever until maybe they become an enlightened avatar, which very few of them ever achieve. To the contrary, Jesus came. Jesus was unique among all men. He was born of a virgin. Uh, He was without sin. There's no sin recorded in the scriptures that Jesus ever committed. He was perfect in everything he said, perfect in everything he did. Jesus was gracious. Jesus was merciful. Jesus was kind. He was patient. He was loving. He went and helped the people who were left out in society. He went to the widows, to the orphans, to the sick, to the lepers, uh, to the Uh, drunkards and the prostitutes. He went to the sinners, to the people who were rejected by that society, and he showed them the love of God. Jesus predicted his death. He predicted his burial for three days, and he predicted his resurrection. And then Jesus performed miracles everywhere he went in order to establish the fact that what he was saying was true, that he was from God. And he says, even if you don't believe me for my words that I'm saying, telling you that I'm from God, believe me for the sake of my works. Who has done the works that I've done before? Nobody's done this. He's come. He opened the eyes of people born blind. He uh, healed people who were paralyzed. Uh, he raised the dead, for goodness sake. He uh, touched the lepers, and, and he healed the lepers. Everywhere he went, Jesus brought healing, and he performed miracles. And so when Jesus died, as he said he would, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he changed our world forever. So there's no, there's no other religious leader or founder of a religion that could even uh, come close to comparing to the message of Christianity or the person of the founder of Christianity. It's just, it just doesn't exist. There are lots of gods, there's lots of religions, but there's only one truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So again, back in Matthew chapter 7, these two roads, these two ways, the narrow way and the broad way, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are only a few That find it. He continues in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, 
But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So Jesus is, again, he's trying to clearly define this for us. He's saying there is a a narrow way and a broad way. There's only a few people on the narrow road. It's a hard road. There's not a lot of people that are going to be traveling on it. There's a broad road. There's lots of people on that road. It's easy. If you could think of the broad road as a broad, sloping downhill. You know, downhill is always easier than going uphill when you're hiking. Uh, If you ever hiked the Grand Canyon or Zion National Park or, you know, any of these real big hikes, you know, it's always hard going up to the top of the mountain. It's, It's easy going downhill. And so the idea is is that the narrow road is hard, it's uphill, it's difficult, and, and there's not a lot of people that want to be on that road because it's harder than the other road. But then there's a, a nice, easy, sloping, downhill slope road that everybody's on. It's an easy road. It's broad. There's lots of people with you, but that road is going to lead all the way to hell. You're going down. It may be easy, but you're going to end up at a destination you don't want to be at uh, in the end. And so Jesus is saying, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruits. So he's warning, there's going to be false prophets who are going to come, who are going to lead you astray. They're going to lead you on a broad road. They're going to tell you something that's not true. It sounds good, but it's just not the truth. And, uh, and you're going to know them by their fruits, their words and their deeds, these false prophets. He continues in verse 21 in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness or you workers of iniquity or you who are just doing your own thing. And so uh, it's, it's a very serious warning from Jesus Christ who is love. He is love personified. And because he is love and he loves us, he tells us the truth. He speaks the truth in love to us. He's telling us the truth because he, he wants us to know that this is real. He's saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's, it's not about paying lip service to God. You know, there's a lot of people that pay lip service to God. Jesus said of them, they, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They just are just, you know, big talkers. But he says, if you really want to be my disciple, he says, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not the one who says to me, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so again, if we want to be on that path that leads to eternal life, we need to know what the will of God is. And then we need to walk in his will. And as we walk in his will, we are on that narrow way that leads to eternal life. But people who are doing their own thing, claiming Christianity, but also claiming all sorts of other things that are unbiblical, Uh, and leading other people astray, Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruits. 
Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, and I'm going to declare to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or you who are just doing your own thing. He continues in verse 24. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So you, again, you have the obedience to the word of God. The obedience to the word of God. That's the difference. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, his word, and who does them, who obeys what his word says, he says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So we are uh, really all building a house. We're building a house that we have to live in. You know, your life is like a house that you're building that you live in. You know, you choose how you're going to live. You choose, uh, you know, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. You choose what you allow uh, inside your house, what you permit inside your home. Uh, and so to some degree, he's saying we're all building a house and a wise man will build his house on the rock. And the rock is, is those who hear his words and obey them. Therefore, whoever hears these saints of mine or hears my words and obeys them or does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house upon the rock. So if you want to build a solid house, you have to have a solid foundation first. And the foundation is Christ. He's the rock. He is the uh, stone which the builders had rejected that became the chief cornerstone. And he says, uh, if you hear my words and you do them, you are a wise man. Now he says that storms are still going to come. Even if you're a Christian, even if you're obedient to God, even if you're surrendered to God and you're living your life for God, he says the storms still come. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. Think of like a hurricane hitting the house and beat upon the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. The foundation was solid. It was built upon the rock. Therefore, it withstood the winds and the waves and the storm. But the storms will come. Just because you're building on the rock and you're obeying Christ doesn't mean storms are not going to come into your life. We all deal with storms. We deal with death. We deal with disease. We deal with difficulty. We deal with betrayals of loved ones and so forth. Uh, and uh, we lose jobs, and sometimes we lose our houses because we lost our job and, you know, go through financial difficulties. Storms will come, and if you live long enough, everybody you love is, is going to die. I mean, I remember uh, one of my dear widows up in Tehachapi who just went to be with the Lord. I officiated her funeral back in September. She was almost 96 years old, and she was so lonely, you know. She would call me, and she was so lonely because pretty much everybody that she was close to had already died. I mean, her parents were gone. All of her brothers and sisters were gone. Her husband was gone. A couple of her kids were already gone. And, uh, you know, she was just, the longer she lived, the fewer people that she knew, the more isolated she was because she couldn't drive anymore, so she was stuck at home, and people would need to give her rides. And so, you know, if you live long enough, even if you're a godly man or a godly woman, eventually 
Uh, everyone you love is going to die. And so we all face storms in this world. But the, the question is, is our house built upon the rock? And if our house is built upon the foundation of obedience to the word of God, which is the will of God, then we know that our house will stand and will withstand whatever storms come our way. Paul said, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whatever storms come your way or come my way, you will withstand the attacks of the enemy. You will withstand the attacks of men and women uh, because your, your house is built upon the rock. However, if your house is not built upon the rock, here's what will happen. He says in verse 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, so who hears my word and does not obey my word and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. And if you have been around long enough, if you've been a Christian long enough, you have seen people who were playing church, who were phony Christians, they were make-believers, everybody knew it, they were just big talkers, and then the storm came, and then their faith failed because their faith was not built upon the Word of God. And they curse God, they blame God, they walk away from God, they shake their fist at God, and their house comes crumbling down. And so the, the question is, is are you building your spiritual house upon the foundation of the rock of the word of God or are you doing your own thing and you may be doing your own thing and getting away with it for a long long time it may even be decades that you're doing your own thing and getting away with it but eventually the storms come upon all of our lives and when the storms come the foundations are tested and even if your house comes crumbling down you could still Return to God. You could still run to God. You could still surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and he will save you. And he will begin to build your house upon the foundation which is solid, upon the rock of his word. So it's all about his word is his will, and this is the way that is the narrow way that leads to eternal life. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus says this, similar he says this in verse 22. He went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there only a few who are being saved? Very interesting question. You know, are there only a few that are actually being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at that door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you or where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Or again, you who just are doing your own thing. He says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. 
They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. And so the question was asked. You know, everybody likes uh, a populist leader. Everybody likes to be part of a populist movement. And so his disciples were asking, asking him, you know, are there going to be a lot of people that are going to join us? Are there going to be a, you know, a, a large number who are going to be saved, who are going to go uh, through this narrow way? And Jesus answers and warns and says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able to. In other words, the answer is no. There are not going to be a lot of people that are going to travel the narrow way, the hard way. There's only going to be a few people on that true road that leads to life. That is the true remnant of God. Uh, no, we don't know who's really saved. I mean, people can say all the right words, and they could have said the sinner's prayer, or they could have gone through all of the sacraments or whatever the regiments are of their denomination and so forth. Uh, but only God really knows uh, who is born again. Uh, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits, and so you'll know someone by their words and by their actions. And uh, those who do the will of God uh, are the ones who are going to enter into heaven. And so uh, the key is, is, is regardless of who's going with us, is that you decide and I decide as individuals. You see, you're called to salvation individually, not as a group. Jesus saves us one at a time. Individually, we come to Christ. You can't be baptized into faith. You can't be consecrated or dedicated, uh, and then you're saved. You have to choose Christ for yourself. And so to some degree, we all have that choice. Uh, some people get saved when they're younger. Some people get saved in middle age. Some people get saved when they're on their deathbeds. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that we all need to be saved individually. It's not a big group thing where, you know, tons of people are getting, getting saved uh, collectively, or, or, you know, God saves a, a husband, and therefore the whole family and all the children are automatically saved. Those children need to grow up, and they need to choose Christ uh, for themselves as well. You can't be born into it. Uh, it's a good head start to be born into Christianity, uh, but it's not a guarantee of salvation just because a priest consecrated you or baptized you or, or what have you. You have to choose Christ for yourself. There is only one way in to eternal life. It's a narrow road. It's only through Jesus, who is the God-man. And again, this is not a popular message. And as we get further into the last days and closer uh, to the return of Jesus Christ, and prior to the return of Jesus Christ, we're getting closer to the time of the coming of the Antichrist, uh, it's, you're, you're going to see that there are fewer and fewer churches that are teaching this message because it's not a popular message. It is politically incorrect to say that all other roads will lead to hell except for Jesus. It's just not politically correct to say that. Uh, but really, every religion teaches their, their religion is the exclusive way to salvation. It's not just Christianity that says we are exclusively uh, telling you the way to salvation. The difference is, is that our leader died and was raised again and ascended into heaven. So he's, he's our living Savior. Muhammad's still buried in a tomb somewhere. Buddha is still buried in a tomb somewhere. There is no tomb for Jesus. He was raised on the third day. He conquered death. So we have hope that we too, because we are with him, he is with us, we are in him, and he is in us that we too will conquer death. It is the blessed hope of the child of God, the Christian. In 2 Timothy in chapter 4, 
Paul the Apostle is warning about the last days here, he says this. He says, I charge you therefore, brethren, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. He says, preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering or patience and teaching. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he's warning us, there's going to be a time when there's going to be the false teachers that Jesus told us and warned us about in Matthew chapter 7, the false teachers, the false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing, whom you will know them by their fruits. Uh, They're going to come and they're going to turn people away from sound doctrine. And they're going to do things according to their own desires. And because the people have itching ears and they want their ears to be tickled, the people are going to flock toward these false teachers and shun those who are teaching the truth. And so as we go forward into time and we head toward the last days and the end times, what would we expect to see? We would expect to see false doctrine, false teachers, false prophets, and people turning away their ears from the true message of the gospel. It's exactly what we see happening today. Most churches today will not talk about sin because sin offends people. They will not mention the word hell because hell offends people. They will not speak about any sins cultural sins specifically because they don't want to offend people they don't want people to leave their church and they don't want people to start stop giving their money to their churches so they'll just tell you how much god loves you which he does they'll tell you how much god you know wants to save you which he does he does love you he does want to save you uh but that's kind of where they stop it's just kind of like giving you just the cherry on top of the dessert with the whipped cream and the ice cream without giving you the milk and the meat of the word the things that you need to learn about God and about his word. Uh, They leave all of that out because they don't want to offend. In other words, they want to just tell people what they want to hear. And if you tell people what they want to hear, you may have a huge church. I mean, my goodness, look at the prosperity gospel, uh, the name it and claim it movement out there. Uh, It's destroying people's faith because it's not true that if you give all your money to some televangelist, your loved one who has cancer is going to be healed. Uh, but that doesn't stop them from going on TV and telling you to send in all your money to their ministry. Uh, name it and claim it. If you just name it and you claim it, you're going to have it. Well, that's not true. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Uh, sometimes you end up poor. Sometimes you end up sick. And so uh, they tell people what they want to hear. And the key is, is to get people to give uh, them your money. That's what they want. They want the people's money. And so as long as people are going to continue to watch their TV shows, continue to send in their money to these people that are promising them health and wealth and prosperity, uh, then, then really everybody's getting what they want. The televangelist is not offending people. He's getting people's money, and the people are having their ears tickled because the televangelist is telling them how wonderful they are and how much God loves them, and not telling them that they're sinners. They need to repent, and they need to be saved in order to enter heaven, and eternal life. 
In the prior chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says this about the last days. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, or treacherous times, times of stress, difficult times will come in the last days. He says, this is what's going to define the last days. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. That's cursing God or taking the name of the Lord in vain. Disobedient to parents, rebellious, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It's like Paul was looking, he could have looked at our generation today in America, and he could have written this about us. It defines us today. This defines our generation. Lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boasters, people are so arrogant, proud, blasphemers. Many Christians even uh, shamefully use the name of God in vain. It's so common for people to blaspheme the name of God in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not even something that we flinch at anymore. Disobedient to parents, we have rebellion uh, at all levels of our society against authority. Unthankful, indeed. I mean, you look at the young people today and, you know, the Gen X and, and, and everybody kind of that was raised with the Internet, uh, always wanting more, not thankful for what you have. Unholy, holy would be sanctified or set apart to God, you know, uh, unpolluted by the stain of the sins of the world. And he's saying they're, they're going to be unholy, unloving, unforgiving. People dig into their corners and they will never forgive. Slanders, they're slandering everybody. Look at the Internet. Uh, without self-control. People have no self-control. They just say whatever they want. They don't even think before they speak or think before they post something online. doesn't matter. They want to get attention. They want to stir people up and offend people. Uh, brutal, despisers of good. And, and we have this whole generation being raised uh, that despises what is good and clings to what the Bible calls is sin. You know, traitors, headstrong, haughty. That's all about arrogance and pride. Uh, and again, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And yet, they still think that they're spiritual. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So today, everybody's spiritual. It's, been, it's cool to be, be spiritual today, uh, but really, so few are totally, completely surrendered to the will of God and surrendered to Jesus Christ and surrendered to... His word, so that you're building upon his word as your foundation, not the word of man. We know that this is the uh, generation that will define the last days, and if this is not defining us, it, it, it certainly looks like it's defining us. Uh, he says in verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, people are so shallow today. They know a little bit about everything, but they don't know much about anything. I mean, really. I mean, everybody thinks they're smart because they could Google things and find out. But, you know, information is not knowledge. And knowledge is not understanding. And understanding is where you get wisdom. 
So you have, to really, you have to really think. God wants us to use our minds. He wants us to think, but he wants us to think biblically. So we have to test all the other thoughts and all the other messages out there through the filter of the Word of God so that we know what is true and we know what is an error or is a lie. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, Timothy says this about the last days. In verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, or in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared, with a hot iron. So again, the Holy Spirit is, is telling us here through Paul the Apostle, clearly telling us, expressly says, that in the last days, you're going to have a falling away from the faith or a departing or an apostasia, an apostasy of the faith where people are turning away from God. As a matter of fact, the Bible does not predict a great revival in the last days. To the contrary, the Bible predicts a great falling away from the faith in the last days. And to some degree, I think that's what we see happening today. At least as a pastor, that's what I see. There's so few who have an appetite or an interest for the things of God or for the Word of God. And so he's warning us. He's saying there's going to be those in the last times that are going to fall away from the true faith. They're going to start listening to lies, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, which, of course, are being taught through the false prophets, through the wolves in sheep's clothing. He says they're speaking lies in hypocrisy, because they're hypocrites, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And that's what we see, is that people have no heart anymore. There's no conscience anymore. People are just able to do such cruel things to one another. And there's no conscience. There's no right or wrong. It's like their, it's like their hearts, their souls have been seared, branded as with a hot iron, to where you're completely dis- desensitized to the people around you. People are so selfish and self centered. It's all about me, myself, and I, and what can I get and take for myself? Uh, You know, I'm going to just plan my world, and I will be like God. I'm not going to surrender to God. God can surrender to me. As a matter of fact, that's what the name and claim it is, is you start commanding God, and God has to obey you as you command him, is what they teach, which is an abomination. God commands us. We do not command him. We are to surrender to him and submit to him. He doesn't have to submit to you, no matter how much you name and claim what you want, especially because you're trying to enrich yourself. Oftentimes, it's so that people can spend it on themselves. He says they're speaking lies and hypocrisy. They're just total, full-on hypocrites. Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul the Apostle talks about how a society kind of goes this way and ends up uh, at this destination this way that leads to destruction. He says this in uh, verse 18. And by the way, there are, there are legislators, there are politicians who are trying to make what I'm going to read to you illegal to be read in churches. They're trying to make this scripture hate speech. So just know this, that at some point, even any pastor that's teaching a sermon like this that's being recorded This could be used later against me or any pastor as hate speech in a court of law if these politicians get their way. In verse 18 of Romans 1, Paul the Apostle says this, 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So this is the wrath of God that is going to come against ungodliness and unrighteousness. He says, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So what God is saying is this. He's saying every man has been given a measure of light or understanding. Everybody born into this world has a knowledge that God exists. That's why children, you don't have to convince children that God is real. If you raise them up in the faith from the time they're very little, they'll be the little prayer warriors because they believe God is right there with them. That's also why children believe in the Easter Bunny why children believe in Santa Claus, why children believe in the Tooth Fairy, because God has made them innately with the knowledge that God exists. You have to teach a child that God doesn't exist or that there is some other thing that exists like Santa Claus instead of God. Uh, uh, you, have to, you have to convince them of this and they'll believe it because God put that faith within their little hearts. When they're born into this world, they're born with an understanding that God is real. And then as we grow up, we see the creation of the world. We see God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, verse 20, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, the whole universe screams that there's a creator. We're the only planet on which there is life, the only planet on which there's vegetation and there's liquid water and there's oxygen to breathe. And we have our perfect systems that have been made for us to live here. Gravity is exactly the way it needs to be so that we don't all float off into space or we're not all pressed to the ground because the moon is, you know, just at the right distance from the earth to keep the gravitational pull the way that it is so that we could stand upright and not just fly off into space where there's uh, where there's no gravity, there's no atmosphere. God gives us exactly the right amount of oxygen to breathe that we need. And then the trees take, you know, the byproduct of the oxygen is the carbon dioxide. We breathe in the oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, the carbon dioxide goes into the trees, the trees assimilate the carbon dioxide, uh, and then the trees produce more oxygen for us to breathe. The water cycle as the oceans are evaporated uh, into the hills through clouds and then the rain comes in the snow. The snow builds the snowpack which then melts in the spring, fills the rivers, fills the lakes so that we have fresh water and eventually all the rivers end up uh, in the ocean and then the ocean begins the cycle again with condensation uh, and the clouds going up. And so the water cycle, everything that we see points to a creator. Everything that we see points to a creator. The sun is exactly 93 million miles away from the earth. If we were any closer to the sun, it would be too hot for life to exist. If we were any further away from the sun, it would be too cold for life to exist. We are truly the Goldilocks planet. They've never found another planet. With all of their science and all of their telescopes, they've never found another planet that could support life. 
in not only just in our solar system, but in the entire Milky Way galaxy and beyond. Uh, and, and so we know, we know inherently, innately, there must be a God, there must be a creator. Anybody that's ever had a, a child, a baby, when you hold that baby in your hands, you look at that child, you know there is a God, there's no other way, it's impossible. How did this little baby come from these two people who loved each other and now you have a child that is part mom and part dad, but yet it's its own individual person? Uh, you know, where did the, how did the bones get inside the baby, the, inside the mother's womb, when there was nothing there to begin with? The next thing you have a heartbeat, and then you have bones, and then you have a brain, you have eyes, and then you have a fully formed human being that comes out of the woman's body. I mean, it's a miracle. We should be in awe of God and what he does for us. And yet, there are many that although they know God, they did not glorify him as God, they were not thankful, they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they turned away from the light that God had given them and chose not to respond to the light. They chose instead darkness, and God gives us free will. He doesn't force us to obey him. He gives us a choice. He doesn't want us to be robotic and that he's making us do what he wants. He wants us to do what he wants because we love him. That's what love is. Love cannot be coerced. Love cannot be compelled. It can't be forced. Then it's not love. And God wants a love relationship with his people. So he gives us free will. We could choose to be darkened or we could choose the light. And if we choose the light, then he'll give us more light. And then if we, if we respond to that light, he'll give us more light. And then if we respond to that light, he'll give us more light until we come to Jesus, who is the light of the world. He continues and says, professing to be wise, they became fools, and they started worshiping other things. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God, verse 23, into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So instead of worshiping the God who created everything, they start to worship the creature rather than the creator. And so you have all of these false religious systems, and people are worshiping Animals, they're worshiping, I mean, my goodness, animals have more rights, the uh, uh, eagle, the eagle's babies have more rights than human babies have in our nation. In other words, if you harm an eagle's egg or you kill an eagle, uh, they'll put you in federal prison. Uh, but you could kill a baby that's within the womb made in the image of God, and that's legal, that's acceptable to our society. Uh, proclaiming to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So here's the danger. When you turn away from the light that God has given you and you pursue darkness, here, here is the danger for all of us. Verse 24, it says, Therefore God also gave them over or gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So when you turn away from God, you begin to worship the creature rather than the creator, worship other gods other than the God who created everything, then the danger is that God may give you over to your lust. He says this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. The witchcraft and Wiccan and everybody that's practicing uh, the occult and even really uh, Buddhism and New Age where they, you know, the universe is God and the universe wants me to do this. The universe told me this or what have you. Uh, they are those who have uh, turned away from the truth. They've uh, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they're worshiping and serving the creature. They give more 
credibility to the creation than they do to the God who created it. So this is what happens, verse 26, for this reason. God gave them up or gave them over to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And that's why there are many people out there who want to strike this chapter and these scriptures uh, from public language or public speech. They want to make this hate speech because Paul is talking about the practice of homosexuality. He's talking about men lusting after men and women lusting after women. And he's saying that in order for people to get to that point where they have so perverted the natural use of sexuality, it's, it's an indication that God has given them over. And a nation or a society that has embraced homosexuality as normalized uh, is a society that has rejected the truth of God. You can't have it both ways. He says they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And so God gave them over to a debased mind, debauchery, to do those things which are not fitting. Now notice here all of the other things when a society has been given over because they've rejected the light and the truth of God. He says in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. So God's not just talking about homosexuality. He's talking about all sex outside of marriage. Sexual, sexual immorality or, or pornography, porneo, adultery, all of the sex that would be outside of the confines of a monogamous heterosexual marriage. He says wickedness, verse 29, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is a society that has been given over to evil that embraces all of these things. Looks a lot like America today, doesn't it? I mean, just turn on the TV and look at the movies that are being made that are influencing us and the television programs that are being made and the media uh, and what they're telling us. Uh, this this, this kind of looks like it's describing our society, Western Europe and America uh, in the 21st century. Maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Uh, and he says, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice all these things are deserving of death. Remember, there's a way that leads to destruction. And if you practice these things, you're gonna, it's going to lead you to death, eternal death. He says, not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. So they give them a like and they give them a thumbs up for the people that are practicing these evil things. So we have, to, we have to hate the things that God hates if we're his people. 
And we love the things that God loves. Otherwise, how could we call ourselves his people? We need to represent him, even if it's not popular. We need to continue to speak the word of God, even if it becomes hate speech and it becomes something that people say, you can't say that. Look, if God said it, I can say it because his word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And the enemy always wants to silence the word of God. He always wants to censor the word of God. And this is a very dangerous society to live in. A society that's been given over by God to evil is not a safe place to live. It's a lawless place because everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And it becomes like Darwin's survival of the fittest, the dog-eat-dog world where the strong survive and where might is right. Now, in Psalm chapter 1, and this is where we're going to wrap up here this morning, and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue with this theme next week as well. In Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, we read this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree which is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's two roads. There's a way that leads to life, the way of the righteous, and there is a way that leads to death, the way of the ungodly. We are called to be those who walk not in the counsel or the advice or the teachings of the ungodly, or standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of the scornful. But our delight should be in God's law, in his word. And in his word, he meditates day and night. So again, if you want to know God's will for your life, you need to learn what his word teaches, because his will is described for us in his word. And as we walk in his word, in obedience to him, he's God, I'm not, he calls the shots. He gets to command me. I do not get to command him. I get to obey him and surrender to him. And that's the best thing for me is to be in God's will. Then I know that I am on that straight and narrow path. It may be hard. It may be lonely. There may only be a few that find it. Uh, but it is the way that leads to life. Shall we pray? And Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the clear teaching of the gospel, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to be our Savior. You came to save us from our sins, to save us from our selfishness, Lord, and to save us, Father, from hell. We thank you, Lord, that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life, Jesus. And it's a narrow road. It's a hard way. There are only a few that find it, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, that we come to the Father exclusively through you. No one comes to the Father except by me, you said, Jesus. Lord, help us to be those who love in spite of being hated, Lord. Help us to be those who are kind, Lord, and who uh, pray for those who persecute us. Because that's what you demonstrated for us, Jesus. 
Help us to be those who will never compromise our faith and will never contradict your word, Lord, that we would be those who are obedient to you. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you or perhaps they've wandered away, Lord God, like the prodigal son, I pray you would call them back, son or daughter, Lord. Call them to yourself today. Save your people, Lord God. Call them to salvation, Lord. And may many respond to you today, Lord God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And if you are interested in becoming a Christian or rededicating your life to Christ, I would love to pray with you. It's something that you do. You choose to surrender to God. It's your choice. God gave you a free will. You just have to surrender. You just have to say, yes, God, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins, and I fall upon your grace, and God will take you right where you're at. He'll save you, and he will begin to do a work in your life. But you just have to surrender to him. I'd love to pray with you after service. I'll be around if you'd like to pray. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.